I don't. It's it's such a. It's it's just kind of the one bad crappy thing that you don't have to be ashamed that you watched. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I you know I'm a, I consider myself kind of a Saved by the Bell historian. I'll tell you what I honestly, and I don't know when it happened, and I can't explain to you, you know, because I it's not like I love it or anything, but I I honestly have seen every episode at least a couple of times, and I oh, yeah. I have amazing recall for it. Yeah, I think a lot. I think a lot of guy you know guys and girls our age can probably say they've seen every episode. Yeah. yeah. I've got I've got the first couple of seasons on DVD. Do you really? Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's the first two seasons. I, I like the way they do it. They call it season one and season two, and it's not the Miss Bliss years, you know. Yeah, well, that was a different show. Right. Well, they, it was called Saved by the Bell. No, it was. Listen, I shouldn't know this. No, no, no. I know. I know. I, called, I know the other title. Yeah. But Good Morning, Miss Bliss. That's what it was called. But there was there's no Kelly, of course. That's why it's not as no, good. No Jesse, no Slater, no Kelly. It was just Lisa and Zach and Screech. That's right. Hello and welcome uh, to another Film Nerds podcast. We're, uh, today we're going to be talking about... A somewhat obscure movie that probably very few of you have seen, but that probably a lot of you should see, and uh, and and we'll tell you, we'll we'll try to give you a few reasons why we think it's a, it's at least a significant release, and that's Gentleman Broncos, the third film by uh, by the very unique filmmaker Jared Hess, uh, and with me to discuss this today is our regular film nerds contributor Ben Flanagan. Thanks for joining me, Ben. Always glad to talk Jared Hess. All right. Well, uh, you know, I think we've actually brought up Jared Hess in some previous podcasts. Um, and and I, think it's, I think it's because, Ben, we really – I know you and I both feel this guy is a really an interesting, unique voice uh, at this point in, you know, in, in filmmaking. And he's a guy that – you know, burst onto the scene with Napoleon Dynamite, which was a, I think at first kind of viewed as just a, a strange, quirky comedy that that got some attention, and went from being just a nothing, uh, independent film, uh, into kind of a full-on comedy classic of our generation, uh, and then followed that with uh, a, a movie that I know. Uh, I know I think is a is a, a more complete you know a more uh, a more uh, you know fully fleshed out film which is Nacho Libre which you know kind of I, I know a movie I'm going to show my kids just as an example of kind of classic um, juvenile comedy um, that, that's also beautifully shot and well made and and you know I don't while I don't think those two movies were considered huge commercial successes. They were pretty well critically received overall. Would you agree with that, Ben? Uh, Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre. Well, I mean, maybe uh, not. Maybe not in terms of the mainstream critics, they, but there, there's, there's certainly kind of a a warm fuzzy feeling out there from a lot of the film going public. Don't, don't you think? Yeah, you know, I, I, this, you know. Say what you will, but I wrote an essay about Nacho Libre back around early 2007, I guess, uh, you know, 
towards the toward you know during the whole end of the year end of 2006 discussion on what the best films of the year were and Nacho Libre was my co best film of the year that year uh, along with Little Children two completely different movies <laughs> yes very much um, but no I, I really truly love you said you would show your kids that movie I, I not only will show my kids that if I ever taught a film class I would show my students that movie I, I would find an excuse to show them Nacho Libre but it was met with um, you know some like you said some of the warm and fuzzy feelings from folks who appreciate uh, G- what Jared Hess does um, you know this this sort of fantastic universe that he has created, which he started with Nacho Lib- or excuse me, Napoleon Dynamite, and even maybe as early as with his short film, Palooka, which that was based on. Um, but the other people thought that it was just uh, this very sophomoric uh, attempt at humor and, a, and an att- attempt to sort of um, regain that quirkiness that he achieved with Nacho Libre and sort of um, attempt to... Uh, I don't know. It, it, I think they kind of felt like he was sort of copying himself uh, see, by, yeah, just they were trying to force the quirkiness that time. And some people thought that Jack Black did a good job and he gave it his all, which he did. And some people just thought it was kind of a waste of time and full of fart jokes. Yeah, you know, I think people always go into a movie with a big star like Jack Black with certain expectations. And I think Nacho Libre was not a movie that met most people's expectations that saw it because it is that. I mean, just just before we really get into the details of Gentleman Broncos and, and what he tries to do there, I mean, you know, let's try and dissect what makes a Jared Hess movie a Jared Hess movie because, I, you know, I think it's a really there, – there's probably some influences you can point to, but it, it is very unique, um, these movies. And it's also very distinctive uh, across his films because I think you can definitely watch – all three of these films and and see that they're that they're made by the same guy. It's the same voice, um, and there is yeah there is that sophomoric fart joke comedy thrown into the mix there in all three. But I really don't think that's what uh, that's what he's really making these movies about. It's not about uh, silly dumb comedy. It it's it's really almost uh, to me most of my laughs from these movies come from moments that I think probably most people wouldn't laugh at. And it's just because uh, the the situations he draws up are so odd and so out of place and surreal almost that you kind of just – your only reaction that, that at least that I can come up with is to laugh at it and just say, I can't believe that someone thought of this and put it on film, you know? And, you know, I think a good example of that is kind of that opening – sequence of Napoleon Dynamite that was also in the short film Palooka where, you know, it's it's a lanky nerd looking kid who gets on a school bus <laughs> and all of a sudden he tosses an action figure out the window on a string and is dragging it behind the bus and seems to be doing it for his own amusement but isn't really that amused. And <laughs> it's just kind of a weird it, there's something that rings true about it somehow. But it is really weird, and there's not there's kind of not an obvious point to it, you know. Yeah, and you you just kind of go with it, you know. Um, you, it's it, a lot of people might uh, characterize Hess's work as weird just to be weird, and I think that that is fair. But I think it's okay to an extent. I don't think that's always the case with his films. 
I think that there is, like I said before, some forced quirkiness, maybe uh, most of that being in his most recent film, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to, which we will get to. That's what the podcast is about. But, um, you know, we, we like you said, we open up on that bus and we see Napoleon, you know, sit in the back of the bus where there, there are these much younger students that go to the same school that he goes to, and they obviously know him, and they have this very strange relationship where this kid says, and it's probably become the most famous, I don't, one of the most famous lines from the movie. They just ask him, what are you going to do today, Napoleon? And he says, whatever I feel like, and he just says it with so much disdain yeah. uh, to, you know, to what this kid has to ask him, like, how dare you ask me that? And that, that moment just kind of sets the tone for Napoleon Dynamite, the film, in the rest of Jared Hess's career, I would say. Um, I think that ever since then, the the way he established that mood and that sort of sense of humor, I think that he's uh, managed to maintain it throughout the three films that he's made. And like I said, it, it, it's really, it, it's extremely off-putting at first, uh, but at the same time, you t- I personally totally embraced it and just went along for the ride. Yeah, and you know, I think... To, to, to transition into Gentleman Broncos, I think what you see consistently in all of Jared Hess's movies, and and just to give you a little background on Jared Hess, I don't know a whole lot about him. I do know that he uh, is from, uh, I believe, Utah or Idaho. Uh, I don't I don't have his bio right in front of me, but he's you know he's from that part of the country, and he is a Mormon, and uh, as is his wife who who works on all of his films with him. And I think there's a little bit of a feeling uh, for Jared Hess that what he really likes is he really likes outcasts. He really likes people who are, like you kind of said before, weird for the sake of being weird, but but maybe not not in their control. Uh, and you look at Napoleon and, and his friend Pedro in the movie. They're both kind of outcasts, and there's really nothing they can do about it. They don't understand why they're viewed as weird by everybody else. But they don't fit in, right? I, I don't think he, I'm sorry. I don't think he really makes fun of them, which is kind of a criticism that some critics. I know Roger Ebert had a problem with Napoleon Dynamite because he felt like everyone we, we were meant to laugh at Napoleon, and I don't really think that's the case. I think we see these weird characters in this movie, and I think they're they're meant to be sympathetic. Well, Napoleon is completely comfortable with himself, and I think that the rest of his characters are, unless that uh, sort of that that outcast uh, characteristic of those characters is a hurdle that they have to jump. Say, like Nacho, you know, Ignacio and Nacho Libre. Yeah, and he's a he's obviously a an outcast. He's a uh, he's a white guy who yeah. has been left at a at a Mexican monastery. And so, you know, re- he really isn't viewed as an equal by any of the other right. priests there. The, yeah, he the whole point is that he has to find his place in the world. You know, he, he feels awkward, and he, he does feel like that outcast. And his mission to, you know, sort of uh, find what he's supposed to do, even if that is of the monastery and what uh, a priest is supposed to do, to do if that means you know pursuing his passion of luchador wrestling uh the same with napoleon dynamite i mean this guy he he he's just very um secure about how he feels or else he wouldn't have told the kid that he was going to do whatever he felt like you know he's kind of got that get off my back this is what i like to do you know like whenever anybody asks him to do anything he, he uh you know he kind of has that 
you know, kind of <laughs> sighing mentality. You know what I mean? And in you know, Hess, I, I I don't feel like he makes fun of these people at all. I think Hess might be one of these people. I think that he totally embraces them, and they're the heroes of his movie. And with Gentleman Broncos, I mean, the whole movie is made up of people we would perceive to be those those kids that sit by themselves at the lunch, you know, at, at the lunch table that you know normal people would never sit with because they're too nerdy, because they're into science fiction novels and just weird stuff. But these are the people that Jared Hess is very interested in, and like I said, I think that they're the people that not only he might identify with, but you know, the people people like us might identify with, too, the kind of geeky kids that uh, were interested in unusual things. Yeah, and, you know, what's really interesting when we when we get into Gentleman Broncos uh, is not only is the main character a bit of an outcast, uh, Benjamin, who is um, who's played by Michael Aaron Angarano. Is that how you say that? I, guess. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, but but you know he's a he's a homeschooled kid. He's got a he's got a very oddball mother who you know I think most people would just be horrified to ever be associated with. And you know like you said with Napoleon Dynamite, he doesn't really seem. I mean he seems uncomfortable in his skin like a teenager. But he uh, the Benjamin character ultimately I think he deals with his outcast status and the embarrassments of his life a lot better than most of us probably would. And uh, and and but but not only do we have the main character that way, but even his sort of enemies in the movie, even kind of the bad guys, are also outcasts. So we're 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 kind of dealing with a situation where there are no cool kids in this movie. Even the evil bad guy, uh, Doctor Ronald Chevalier, even he is. We we come to find out he's an outcast. He's somebody that. Uh, maybe at one point he was sort of praised for what he did, but his, you know, no one's buying his books anymore. His publisher calls him and tells him that he's, you know, he's no good and they, they, they're, they're going to drop him soon. And, you know, he's he's viewed as cool by some of these other sort of outcasts, but he ultimately he he's not a guy that fits in with the with the rest of the world either. No, I, t- I totally agree. You, you, you Hess has kind of uh, transcended this. Um, arc of his characters where you know they're they're the uh, the person that is left out and is not one of the cool kids and he's created this environment where uh all of the outcasts have come together and created their own cool kids and you're either in or you're out and uh you know that he takes these kids to this science fiction writing camp that has its own cliques so to speak which benjamin sort of he sort of becomes a part of one he joins this circle of friends um but uh I just, um, I just love how you know. I, I think that Benjamin is kind of like Napoleon in a way, where again he has embraced his status as someone who might be seen as unusual, and he's just uh, accepted it, you know, and he's okay with it, and he's okay with being embarrassed by his mom. It's just part of his life, like you know, in Napoleon Dynamite, we see uh, bullies um, act up on Napoleon. They put him in headlocks, or they. Uh, you know, want to steal his lunch food uh, early on, and it's it's just something that Napoleon has to deal with every day. It's just one of those horrible things about high school that everybody had to endure. And Benjamin's kind of the same way. He's, I think, in a, in a way, he's one of Hess's most unusual characters, especially for a protagonist. He just has this very blank uh, affect, this very flat affect about him. 
you know, from beginning to end, you know, th- there's not much that really changes. He doesn't have a lot of mannerisms like no. like uh, like Nacho and Napoleon have. Certainly. No, but, no, but you're kind, of, you're, you know, you're aware that he is sort of in love with uh, science fiction writing and what he's doing. You know, it, it, Hess never really has to uh, communicate that any more than he does in the movie. We we know that about Benjamin, and uh, in a way, I really, you know, I, I like that about him. I, I like that. Um, he is this just kind of this kind of quirky kid um, who you know is secure with what he's doing creatively, uh, and he's challenged by this guy you mentioned, Donald, uh, Ronald Chevalier, played by Jermaine Clement. You know, um, and it's just this really great dynamic between this celebrity writer and this you know kid who's trying to pursue his dream that the writer has already achieved. Yet the writer's trying to steal the kid's dream right from under him when he has what may we we don't really know what may or may not be legitimate science fiction writing talent. Well, it's certainly to the people in the movie, it's entertaining, and they all really everyone who reads it seems to think it's this sort of uh, brilliant piece. Uh, but but know. who's reading it though? Remember, like you remember, like you got to look at the characters who are you know reading this. The only ones whose whose perspectives we sort of see are uh, Jemaine Clement, who is obviously an evil man who just wants to steal the the best idea from the pile of science fiction uh, novellas he has to read for this competition, and he claims that they're all terrible until he you know settles on this one. And then you've got this girl, this female character, who reads it and says it's brilliant, but she herself is very unusual and. You yeah, know, uh, I want to ask kind of, you about the Tabitha character, okay. by the way, because it's been kind of a divisive character in the people that I've talked to uh, who've seen the movie. Uh, you know, I, I think it's it's another really interesting and weird turn, and I think another reason why we should mention this movie, by the way, uh, is notable because of. I mean, I guess we'll speculate on this at some point in the podcast, but I mean, an absolutely mishandled. Financial disaster, sort of from a from a um, you know from a dollars and cents standpoint, it was a, it's reportedly a ten million dollar production budget and only ended up grossing about a hundred and thirteen thousand dollars in theaters. Yeah, so, that that blew my mind when yeah. I saw that. So um, I mean, it was uh, there were distribution problems and it didn't really make it out to a lot of screens, but certainly the screens it did make it out to, it did not do all that well. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, and I think part of it is because characters like this, the the, the lead female character in the movie, uh, her name's Tabitha. She's a, she's a very strange. Again, she's a homeschooled kid uh, who's part of this group that's going to the sci-fi camp, and she's really not likable. And there's nothing attractive. I mean, she's she's not a bad-looking young lady, but she there's there's so many things that are repulsive about her personality, um, and yet. You get the sense that kind of uh, that that Benjamin might be a little bit interested, and I wonder, you know, is it maybe that you just kind of take what you can get when you're in this kind of outcast society? If there's any girl interested, then she becomes, you know, your romantic your romantic lead. Well, and she and she kind of becomes his foil in a way. Uh, I think that his interest in her sort of peaks. Uh, about ten minutes into meeting her, and then after that, I think he's done with her until right. until until she expresses some interest in his in his book. 
You know, right. when she tells him that uh, he like she likes it and that uh, they're mutual, they're very strange mutual friend, which I'm sure we're going to come to later. Uh, that he wants to produce it into a film of sorts. Uh, he, he's back interested uh, in a way, but yeah, I think she is kind of a um, sort of polarizing character within that the, the Hessian universe. Uh, but this girl, like you said, she's she's appealing at first. It's the girl that uh, I think was in Squid in the Well. She played Jesse Eisenberg's girlfriend. You know, and she's a she's a cute girl, and uh, she's talented. She's a talented actress. But I think that this girl, she kind of falls into this category um, that I've sort of uh, you know <laughs> identified as I've watched these Hess films, where you kind of have these completely tangible uh, original Jared and I guess you could say Jerusha Hess um, characters that you can easily identify as their own. But uh, Tabitha, I think, she sort of fits that mold, but she and her friend uh, Donahoe, I can't remember his first name, Lonnie, Lonnie Donahoe, yeah. played, by, played by Hector Jimenez, who is Escalito and Nacho Libre, they, to me, there are moments where they sort of overdo it, and they, 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 kind, of, they kind of feel like, uh, you know, as if college kids or even high school kids were uh, making their tribute to Hess. And they created characters strictly based on, you know, they were kind of like the sum of the parts that we had already seen in Hess's previous movies. Because they're doing these extremely strange things just to be strange. Like, for instance, when they're on the bus, it's a very funny moment. I I found myself laughing at it pretty hard, even more when I thought about it. But you have Tabitha sitting in between Lonnie and... (laughs) It's absolutely bizarre, yeah, yeah. And Benjamin, you know, where she's like... Uh, she puts lotion on her hands, and she asks Benjamin to rub the lotion into her hands. She puts way too much yeah. lotion on her hands. A lot, yeah, a lot. And I remember thinking, God, what would I do if some girl asked me to do that? I, I, I don't know if I'd do it, man. Even if I was interested in her. But then you've got Lonnie eating like Cheetos or something, <laughs> and he's going up to her ear while she's, you know, the her eyes are rolling in the back of her head, and. He's just uh, he's chomping on his Cheetos and going, ooh, <laughs> ooh, and she's just loving it, man. Like that's just it's almost like they've done that before, and Lonnie knew exactly what to do, you know how to how to make her how to make her relax. <laughs> so it was just this very weird moment. It's um, it's very odd, and and it also brings brings up. Uh, something that is new about gentlemen Broncos in terms of the Jared Hess sort of palette of weirdness, which is this movie, this movie gets a PG 13, whereas his first two movies were PG. And I'm pretty sure the reason it gets that is there's really, you know, there's nothing that's sort of overtly, uh, graphically sexual, but there are a lot of strange sexual references sort of in this movie uh, and sort of things like that. But but mostly a lot of it comes from the fact that in, in this group of science fiction writers, this seems – this is sort of a subset of science fiction that, that these people all seem to be interested in where – uh, breasts and testicles are involved a lot in the in the storyline, where and and in strange ways where they're sort of used as weapons and things like that, yeah. and and it's it's really weird that that they got sort of that that Jared has sort of starts getting into that that universe. Do you think it's just specific to the sci-fi 
universe that he wanted to go into, or is he kind of, you know, I mean, because like you can point to some other moments like that one on the bus where he just sort of is flirting with awkward. It's not. It's, you don't even really want to call it sexual. It's just kind of. It's almost like weird, sort of surreal. Fetish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's just yeah, like you said. It's just it's kind of very strange, surreal. And yeah, I think that it might be sort of a, a fetish. You know fetish of hers of tabitha's that she gets off on this is how this is probably the only way other than maybe reading science fiction that she gets off and this might be the stuff that she writes about you know right. i'm interested in what she and lonnie write well, uh, she said that she writes she likes to write stories about uh a stable boy that solves mysteries right uh, okay right because we, we see that we don't we see that film being made at some point yeah, later well, there's a trailer it? for it yeah all oh, right okay yeah that disgusts benjamin once he sees the final right. product but um, no, you know, it, yeah, I did. I wish that I could speak to the type of science fiction that Jared Hess is referencing in this movie. I don't know if it's his own creation or if there really is stuff like this out there. If you if you go and and you know if you watch the opening credits of the movie, it does resemble Hess's previous movies. Uh, you know, the Napoleon Dynamite lunch food uh, opening credit sequence, mm-hmm. and then the the Nacho Libre uh, when he's grabbing you know items you know from like tablecloths and different things to put his suit together uh here you see all of these different science fiction novel book covers uh which in most cases are incredibly awesome um it's like i would love to read that book or see that movie or it's it's one of those things where you hear about a lot of these b movies and their plot lines sound really cool or their posters are really neat but once you start watching it, it's really just kind of crappy um, filmmaking. And I, I kind of get the feeling that that's the way a lot of these stories are. It's like, you know, I'd love to see a gigantic spider fighting a robot, you know what I mean? Like in the desert or something like that, which is, you know, an example of what they might um, write about or reference on one of those covers. But really, when you think about it, it's just really weird and bizarre, like Benjamin's story. And like you mentioned, his entire story is pretty much about his hero's balls, and right. and you know, but which is explicated at at some point by Tabitha. She she figures out kind of a uh, maybe a psychological reason in Benjamin why he's writing stories about that. But it it doesn't uh, ultimately to us and really to this story, it doesn't really matter why he's writing about what he is. It's just becomes these wonderful uh, standalone surrealistic moments uh that are plugged into this film that are that are really i mean to me uh they're they're fascinating to watch these little strange moments that star sam rockwell as as the hero of this story bronco or uh brutus in in the other version as as imagined by ronald chevalier uh, and frankly, I, I enjoy watching Brutus a little more than Bronco, but but they're they're both really entertaining little strange scenelets that we're given of this of this other world. It's almost like you know uh, you mentioned that that at some point there's there's a version of this story being made onto film by Tabitha and Lonnie, but this is kind of what would happen if a big a big budget version was made uh, at any point of this story. Right, and I, I like how we go in and out of that fantasy. You know, it's whenever somebody's reading it, we see it imagined on the screen, uh, or it's probably realized how Benjamin would have realized it if he could, or if you know, it's probably how it plays out in his own mind as he wrote it. Um, 
but you've got to really wonder, like I bet a lot of people who saw this film or people that'll seek this film out are fans of Sam Rockwell. And they hear that he was in this film and they go and watch it and they got to think, what is he going for? You know, or like what, what is this movie going for? Because he plays these two completely different and highly bizarre characters. And you've got to respect Sam Rockwell for obviously doing exactly what Jared Hess asked him to do, uh, which is play this sort of um, uh, barbarian looking um, Southern or not Southern, but I guess sort of a Western character. His name is Bronco. It's kind of like he a, he looks like he's out of, uh, out of the Rob zombie movies, sort of, you know, well, like, he's, like kind, he's kind of like a cave caveman cowboy yeah. in a way, you know, or like a galaxy ranger, I guess if anybody gets that reference. Um, but the other one is the, is <laughs> it's inexplicable. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it's Jermaine. It's Ronald Chevalier's version. Brutus is this, this, Highly effeminate, obviously uh, overly drawn homosexual character, Brutus. Um, in Sam Rockwell, it's like, you know, you go back and watch Moon and he gives multiple performances. In this, he does the same thing. I don't know that people would, li- would like to compare Moon <laughs> to Gentleman Bronco in terms of Sam Rockwell's work, but I think that there are some similarities. Um, but no, I, you know, I, I kind of enjoyed uh, and it, I think it was a sign of, you know, some good editing and, um, you know, it was, it was a nice narrative device on Hess's part to sort of juxtapose Benjamin's story with, um, Bronco and Brutus's story and just kind of show you how, um, it, you know, what, what a story looks like in the hands, you know, somebody's original story, what it looks like in the hands of another artist who has a different interpretation. And I wonder if, I wonder if this story you know, is inspired by anything in Hess's uh, creative uh, career, you know, where he, you know, he had this great idea that somebody stole. Um, You've got to wonder if if that happened to him. But uh, going back to some of these strange characters, I think Jennifer Coolidge's mother, you know, Benjamin's mother is another one. And Mike White's uh, characters, isn't his name Steve, I think maybe, or... Um. You know, hang on. I, I've I've got to pull his name up here. But but Mike White's character is is not in the movie a whole lot. But he's very very odd. Uh, Dusty. Yeah. Dusty's his name. Dusty. That's I don't know yeah. where I got Steve. But it there there are these kind of characters that I'm talking about where you can kind of uh, you, you might identify them as not quite Hess characters. You know what I mean? But I think that it would be really easy to label them that way just because they're they're bizarre just because and they're interested in very strange things like snakes and blow, uh, you know blow darts and um, and then she makes these very designs these very uh, you know strange dresses uh, very kind of like bizarrely extravagant that nobody would wear um, and it's, she's also it's, it's really yeah. I mean in terms of a, a lot of people just love Jared Hess purely for his sort of set design and the this these out of date it, it's almost like an alternate universe version of the 80s as yeah. if, if the 80s kept going and never stopped right and and her dresses are, are are sort of the costume version of that and uh i mean i think there's something sort of tw- in a twisted way that's really amazing and you kind of wish they'd have gotten some recognition for the costume work in this movie 
Yeah, and also her popcorn treats that she makes <laughs> right. that nobody can seem to eat. You know, I love how she's she's pretty much glued so much popcorn together that it's impossible to eat. Um, and they end up having to smash the, the treats like up against the wall to break them apart. But um, those, like I said, those are these characters that I think actually work, especially Dusty. You know, Mike White has a reputation for being uh, sort of this um, because he's kind of a strange looking guy and he's he's done some um, unique writing. People might uh, now perceive him as a guy you'd expect to make uh, or to generate quirky material. And once you see him in a Hess movie and he co-wrote Nacho Libre. Um, but once you see him in a Hess movie, you think, okay, well, this is just, this is too much. This is too much quirk. Uh, but I think Dusty's character actually worked. I found myself laughing at nearly everything he did, you know, from his, one of his first lines when he meets Benjamin, he just tells the kid, your mom's smoking hot, you know? And he just met, he just met this kid, man. It's like, this is how you talk to a kid about his mom, but it's just, you know, this <laughs> and is a guy. he's guardian angel from church. <laughs> right. Right. Right, yeah. So I loved it, man. I, I, I like I like Mike White, it, it, you know, most of what he does. But I just I'm at a point now, and we we haven't really got into whether we like this movie or not. We you know we just we both probably know a little too much about the Hess the Hess universe. But well, I think that we've 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 decided to embrace this guy as a legitimate and unique storyteller. Look, you know, I'm, I'm glad I watched it, and I'd watch it again. I, I mean, I, I think I would say that I feel like the other two movies that he's made are better movies. But there are things about Gentleman Broncos uh, that show that Jared Hess has kind of, you know, you know, progressed as a filmmaker since those two movies. And, uh, you know, one one moment, I, to me, the before before seeing this movie, to me, the, the thing that kind of made me finally go, okay, Jared Hess is not a gimmicky filmmaker, he's for real, he's legit, is the moment in Nacho Libre when um, there, there's some uh, some dialogue that ends up sounding rather silly when it's spoken, and it's it's the moment that Nacho is sort of proclaiming that he's going to... Uh, he's going to leave the monastery and he's going to oh. go wrestle and and if he and if he wins he's going to donate the money to the children and it's spoken in his sort of childish broken English, um, but the sentiment behind it is really touching and it's a moving moment in in the movie and uh, and then we sort of uh, it progresses from there to a great piece of music uh, in the score and and kind of a, sl- a long slow motion shot of him walking away. And it's just a really great film moment that kind of makes you step back and say, "This guy has it." And to and there's really there was another moment in Gentleman Broncos that I felt like reached that same level um, in terms of kind of an emotional effect. Um, and and it's 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 a it's another heavily musical uh, sequence, and uh, it, it comes at again at kind of a character's turning point it's it's a moment where benjamin is is really kind of at his at his wits end trying to figure his way out of a tough situation uh and he's he's picking popcorn balls out of the garbage and he's just kind of at the lowest (laughs) of lows and as it happens as he's doing that uh down the street comes rolling tabitha and lonnie 
making a mockery of his story with their film adaptation. Yeah, and it, yeah. And, and we lose, you know, we sort of cut away from the audio and go back to that that same sort of slow motion look, and it it goes to a long montage. Uh, of pretty much every character in the movie and what they're doing at that moment, almost a little bit like the um, the Amy Mann uh, sequence from from uh, from Magnolia that everybody sort of remembers, but uh, it's done instead to this this '80s post Cold War anthem called "Wind of Change" by the band Scorpion, uh, and it's just a, it's. You know, it's kind of that perfect blend of cheese, and it's like I said, it's it's almost like Jared Hess created this world where the '80s didn't stop, and it and it kept getting more and more '80s looking instead of moving on to something else. And, uh, and we just, to me, the, the kind of the color palette and, and all, the, all the things that we see during that montage, uh, to me, it's visually the most impressive thing that he's done. And it's also, I mean, it is a great moment for all the characters, including Chevalier, uh, because he's sort of, uh, I, I think the shot we get of him in that montage is he's accepting an award for his plagiarized book, and he's he's clearly got a look of, guilt on his face and kind of, you know, disappointment. But, I mean, to me, Gentleman Broncos maybe doesn't all fit together quite right, and maybe it doesn't uh, give you the same consistent experience all the way through, but to me, that moment works for the entire story and and is another example of Jared Hess coming up with a great piece of filmmaking there. Yeah, I agree, and going back to that, Nacho Libre sequence that you described, I, you know, that's one of my personal favorite sequences of the decade, you know, and one of my favorite monologues of the decade, too. I think it's the best writing Hess has done, you know, the speech where he says, tonight I'll fight the seven strongest men in town, uh, and, you know, the he- Heavenly Father will be in the ring with me, and I'll win 10,000 right. pesos. God, I just want to go through the entire monologue, you know, because like you <laughs> said, because it's this incredibly... Uh, tender moment like when you think that Jack Black is just kind of doing the the Jack Black shtick and it's silly and it's a comedy it sort of turns into this very humane touching moment where he almost starts choking up in a way and it's yeah. like wow it's like wow Jack Black is really acting right here mm-hmm. he's re- he, he's really believing in this character who is doing you know he you know he, he sort of started um, I you know at that point his feelings are hurt you know by his his brother's in Nacho Libre because number one, they don't believe in his cause where he's trying to make this money for these orphans so they can eat good food. But they're also sort of um, uh, objecting to his dream in a way, you know, and he tells them and with the money, I'll buy the kids a big bus and we'll go to parks, you know, and we'll go on field trips, you know, and then his last line is I'm serious. And I think that, I think that that, that line right there is kind of like that. That's Hess. You know, he's being, he's serious. You know, this movie is not to be, dismissed well i think think he's saying sort of at that point you go uh, it 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 has been a little bit silly uh and and you're paying attention to the laughs all along the way and and it's kind of this moment and i think the same thing happens at that moment in gentleman broncos yeah where he wakes you up and goes hang on though this might be this might look silly 
but I'm telling a story that you could actually apply and you could almost treat it like a parable. Uh, you know, and this, maybe this is, maybe this is just a movie about a guy who's, uh, who's going against what everybody else is telling him that he can't do it. Uh, and because he, because he believes really strongly in what he's fighting for. And, you know, and, and you can look at Gentleman Broncos and you could say, this is a weird movie about weird people. Or in that moment, maybe it's just a movie that's about, uh, the moment, you know, that's about artistic integrity and kind of what are you willing to go to, you know, how far are you willing to go to protect what you create, you know? Right. And, and, and it's a guy who's, who's lost who's sort of given away his art and he regrets it. And, you know, it's just like, just like Nacho, he sort of decides to fight back for it in the rest of the movie. And I think it's, I think it's a a sign of really kind of something we don't see elsewhere, which is these, these sort of silly broad comedies almost being turned into almost like little moralistic parables sort of, uh, but not in a way that hits you over the head. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people are probably down the road going to refer to this as minor Jared Hess. And he's only made three films, and I think that this is probably going to be, for most people who end up actually seeing it, a pretty distant third when they're ranking Hess's movies. And, uh, you know, you and I had a conversation where, you know, we both kind of agreed that it's not such, it may be third, but it's not such a distant third. I think that this is as pure a Jared Hess experience as you can get at the movies, it's a great example of what he is capable of doing and what he likes to do. Jared Hess, um, what I admire about him with this movie is that he's not giving in to what, um, you, you know, you would assume that there are some studio demands out there for him to make certain projects or tweak certain things about his work. And obviously he chose not to do that. And one of the compromises he might've made is, well, we're not going to give you much distribution, uh, with, you know, thanks to those choices, but, Jared Hess makes Jared Hess movies, and he obviously isn't apologizing for it. So I, you certainly, know, no one could accuse him of compromising his uh, his artistic vision when you watch this movie, because there's no way a studio executive told him that anything in this movie was a good idea. <laughs> other well, than but, other but than see, maybe Ronald Chevalier, to me, that's that's kind of the thing that I think anybody, even even somebody that doesn't like Jared Hess could watch the the Ronald Chevalier moments in this movie and grab onto that and and appre- appreciate what a funny character that is but uh you know aside from that uh you got to you got to like Jared Hess to really to really appreciate Gentleman Broncos I think it's for, sort of for fans only yeah and you got to think that maybe uh, isn't this Fox Searchlight I think well they um, did they they did ultimately they distributed it. They did ultimately distribute it, but like I said, they didn't really give it uh, anywhere near no, no. a large it got, scale distribution. What it, got like, it got like 18 at its widest amount of theaters. 18 screens, I think, was the lar- the farthest it went. And that's just ridiculous. You've got to think this is the guy who, uh, you know, sort of rocked the cult, you know, rocked pop culture with Napoleon Dynamite and delivered uh, financially, I might say, with a, a really terrific follow up that was embraced by you know the average movie going audience with Nacho Libre and so you've got to think that the studio might think all right what we're we're down with pretty much whatever this guy wants to do because he's clicking with uh an audience out there and so we'll we'll fund what he has you know 
we'll fund this next script because, you know, as weird as it might be, it's going to work. But then they might have read this script and uh, found out that, you know, he doesn't have a big star like Jack Black this time around. The biggest star in this movie, I guess, would be Jemaine Clement, you know, who is known, well known by cult audiences who watched Flight of the Concords, you know, and listened to that music and, and are amped about that. But Jemaine Clement can't exactly open a movie. No, um, certainly not. Yeah. Yeah, certainly not. So they might have, you know, had reservations as the film was being made or as they saw Hess's final cut and said, "Okay, no. <laughs> we're not we're not going to go that route. You know, good luck on DVD, man. Maybe you'll find an audience, you know, maybe you'll find an audience on DVD." But look, I I think Jared Hess is a guy to really keep an eye on. You know, I think that he is somebody out there who I, I would say um, and I, I do not think that this is a stretch. I think that it's you, you can you can categorize Jared Hess as an auteur, a legitimate auteur, somebody who writes and directs his films. He co-writes with his wife Jerusha, um, but he writes and directs his own films. And when you watch it, if it didn't have a label on it, you could point to it and say that's a Jared Hess film. And you know this makes three, and I, I'm still on board. I'm still ready and willing to see the next Jared Hess film, no matter what it is. Yeah, I'm definitely, I, I'm definitely with you there. And, uh, and I hope everybody gives this one a shot and, uh, and, and comes to appreciate maybe, maybe one day up there with whatever I feel like I want to do. Uh, we'll also have the classic line. Show leniency. <laughs> Always leniency. <laughs> What does he what does he call women's breasts in his books? I can't he remember. Calls him, he call he uses various words, but one of one of the words is memories. He uses that's, that word a lot. That's right. He says it repeatedly during yeah. the during his opening lecture. It, it cracked me up. And I'll say the one false moment in this movie where I thought, okay, that was a bad decision, was during the um, the final credits where they start playing the the. Carry on my carry on my wayward son, you know. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't really care for that. I, I thought that you know I feel you gotta, like I've heard that in several yeah. closing credits. Stick to the obscure stuff, man. Yeah. You know, like this isn't an Adam McKay movie. You know, like you're you're Jared Hess. You're you're known for making these strange and um, unique choices that you know define your movies. And in no way will that song define Gentleman Broncos. So. But yeah, I think we both could say, if, certainly if you're a fan of of quirky comedy, or I mean, absolutely if you're a fan of Jared Hess, you need to find a way to see this movie. It's available. Or, Jermaine, or Jermaine Clement, man. Oh, like, we sure, barely yeah. touched on him. Like, yeah. he is brilliant in this movie. It's definitely worth uh, seeing, if for no other reason than for his very strange and entertaining uh, performances. I think it's one of the funniest characters you will have seen in, in quite a while. Um, but you know, go, find this movie whatever way you can. I know it's available on Netflix, uh, but but hurry up and see it because, uh, I, as I understand, the DVD print was limited. So, so you, the the only way to see it in a few years might be shelling out eighty bucks for a uh, used DVD on Amazon. So try and see it soon and uh, wow and uh, enjoy it. And uh, Ben, hopefully, we'll have you back soon for another podcast uh i'm you know summer movie season quickly approaches absolutely all right well thanks for joining me ben and uh we'll see everybody next time just want to do something special for all the ladies in the world 
Just wanna do something special for all the ladies in the world.